Chapter Sixteen of Where the Path Breaks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Where the Path Breaks by Captain Charles de Crespigny. Chapter Sixteen. Part Three. Beyond the Milestones. There was a great wind wailing over the sea on the day that Barbara's letter was brought to Denon. The wind seemed to come from the four corners of the earth, laden with all the stormy sorrow of the world since men and women first loved and lost each other. The voice was old as death and young as life, and the heartbreak of unending processions of lovers was the message it brought to the Mirador Garden. Denon knew, because he had heard through the fire-music of life, that there was another voice and another message for those who would listen. He knew that higher than tragedy rang the notes of endless triumph, that the message of love went on forever beyond the break of the note of loss. He knew the lesson he had so hardly taught himself and Barbara, that happiness is stronger than sorrow, as all things positive are stronger than all negative things. But the big truths of the universe were too big for him that day. The thought that he might see Barbara, and yet must not see her, shut out all the rest. There had been, it seemed, only one honorable course open when he had decided to sacrifice his place in life to save Barbara from scandal and to let her keep her happiness. It was very different now. Her marriage with Trevor Darcy had not been a marriage of love. It had been worse than a failure. She had loved only one man, John Denon. Why not let her come and find him? But no, the trial would be too great. It would not be fair to put the girl, still almost a child, to such a test. Her love for Denon had been a delicate poem. He had died, and his memory was cherished in her heart as a rose of romance. There was no human passion in such a gentle love, and only the strongest passion could pass through the ordeal he proposed. She might hate him for his long silence, and blame him for deceit. She would see herself disgraced in the eyes of the world and nothing that he could give would repay her for all that she must lose. No love could be expected to stand such a test, much less the love of a child for an ideal which had never, in truth, existed. It would break her heart to fail, and break his to have her fail. The memory of a meeting and a parting would be for him a second death, death by torture, the temptation to let things take their course was overcome. Indeed, he no longer felt it as a temptation. Nevertheless, he suffered. Some reason for putting her off must be alleged, but there was time to think of that afterwards, between the telegram and letter which would follow. The great thing was to prevent her from coming to the Mirador and finding out what a tragic tangle she had made of her life. When he had sent the cable and was at home again, Denon read once more all of Barbara's closely written pages. At the end he kissed the dear name with a kiss of mingled passion and renunciation. 
"'She'll think I have no more heart than a stone,' he said to himself. "'Her friendship for Sanborn will crumble to pieces.' Ineffably he longed to keep it, all that he had in life of sunshine. Yet he could not see how to account for his refusal without lying, and without appearing in her eyes cold as a block of marble. He looked at the letter, which might be her last, as a man might look at a beloved face about to be hidden in a coffin, and suddenly the date sprang to his eyes. For all his reading and re-reading, he had not noticed it before. There had been a delay. The letter had been several days longer than usual in reaching him. What if she had grown tired of awaiting the asked-for cable and had chosen to take silence for consent? The certainty that this was so seized upon Denon. He was suddenly as sure that Barbara was on the way to him as if he had just heard the news of her starting. If, honestly and at the bottom of his heart, he wanted to save her a tragic awakening from dreams, he must leave nothing to chance. He must be up and doing. It was not impossible, even if she had waited four days for a cable and started impulsively off on the fifth, that she might walk in at the gate of the Mirador Garden a week from that night so Denon hastily calculated. How was he to be gone before she came, if she did come, without humiliating the dear visitor by seeming deliberately to avoid her? How could John Sanborn's absence be accounted for, in some reasonable and impersonal way, if Lady Denon arrived at Santa Barbara inquiring for him? In his need of a pretext, he recalled the offer which he had laughed at, Carl Polson Bradley's offer to buy the Mirador in its garden. The man would snap at the chance to get his way so soon. In a few days the business could be settled, and Sanborn could be gone. But where? And Denon sought anxiously to provide the good reason at which he had hinted to Barbara in his cable forbidding her to come. Even if he had sold the Mirador before receiving his friend's letter, he might have waited to see her. He could have stayed on in a hotel if the new owner of the place had been impatient. No, selling his house was but one step of the journey. What should the next one be? Almost instantly the solution of the whole difficulty presented itself to his mind. A few days before, he had sent a subscription to a fund for organizing a relief expedition to Serbia. The appeal had come to John Sanborn through his publisher. And even as he wrote his check, he had thought, if it were not for the exquisite bond of friendship which tied him to a fixed address, the address of the Mirador, how easy it would be to give himself, as well as his money, to the cause of Serbia in distress. Not only doctors and nurses were wanted for the expedition, but men of independent means, able to act as hospital orderlies and in other ways. Physically, Denon had not yet got back the full measure of his old strength. After all these months, he would be of no use as a fighting man. He limped after a hard walk, and often, with a change of weather, he suffered sharp pain, as if his old wounds were new. 
but he could stand a long journey, and surely he would be equal to the work of an orderly, perhaps something better. If there were dangers to meet in Serbia, he would welcome them, whatever they might be. To die would be to adjust things as they could be adjusted in no other way. Since August 18, 1914, John Denon had had no right to live. The more he thought of it, the wiser seemed the Serbian plan. With Bradley's money, he could do five times more for the Red Cross Fund than he had hoped to do. What mattered the wrench of parting from the Mirador? The only thing that really mattered, as before, was saving Barbara from pain. She would not be hurt if she came and found him gone on such an errand as this, for it was one which could not wait. Later she would understand even more clearly, for he would write a letter and send it to Gorston Old Hall, where some servant would have been given a forwarding address. Thus he need not quite lose his friend. She would forgive his going away and write to him in Serbia. Denon calculated that Barbara could not have sailed from England until at least five or six days after sending her letter to him. Probably she would not have sailed so soon. Apparently, when writing, she had only just made up her mind that Gorston Old Hall was unbearable. There would have been many things to arrange, and business to settle with her solicitor, friends to say good-bye to. She could not possibly reach Santa Barbara, even if she traveled with the most unlikely haste, until the end of the week. That she should arrive on Saturday would be almost a miracle. It was Monday now, and Thursday might see him away from the place where he had dreamed of passing all his days. Now that he had thrown off the dream, he saw it a fantastic vision. As vigor of body and mind came back to him, the boundaries of the Mirador Garden would soon, in any case, have become too narrow for his energies. He would have found it necessary to shoulder some useful burden and work with the rest of the world. The hour had struck for him now, and John Sanborn had got his marching orders, as John Denon had got them long ago. He sent word to Bradley through his lawyer that the Mirador was for sale after all. Next he telegraphed to the leader of the Serbian Relief Expedition in New York and asked if there was a place for him. Because the name of John Sanborn was known, an enthusiastic answer came back with great promptness. This stirred Denon's heart, which, despite his firm resolution, felt heavy and cold. He thought of Barbara coming to the Mirador, only to find Mr. Bradley's workmen engaged in tearing down the barrier between the big garden and the little one. But now that his course of action was decided, he supplemented his first cable to her with another. This was in case his presentiment were wrong and she had not started. He told her what his good reason was, that he had sold the Mirador and was starting at once for Serbia. Further explanations, he added, would be given when he wrote. Never had a letter to Lady Denon been so difficult for John Sanborn to compose, for he could say only the things he least wished to say. 
and so the result of his labor was, in the end, very short. Nevertheless, it took hours to write. The day after the sending of the letter was largely taken up by a visit from Carl Polson Bradley and his man of business. Denon held the millionaire to the last price named by himself, for he intended to use the money largely for the benefit of the Serbian Red Cross. At last a contract was signed, and the check paid into John Sanborn's bank at Santa Barbara. He had still all Wednesday and part of Thursday for packing and disposing of his treasures. The task was easy, for the treasures were few. He could fold his tent like an Arab and silently steal away. Denon did not expect ever to return to Santa Barbara. Having loved the Mirador and given it up, there was no longer anything tangible to call him back. More likely than not, death which had come close to him in France would come closer still in Serbia. He would cast off his body like an outworn cloak, and free of it would knock once more at the gate where, once, he had heard voices singing. The one possession which Denon could not bear to give up, yet knew not how to take, was the portrait of Barbara which he had made and framed in redwood. It was large, and the delicate tints of its pastels had to be carefully protected. He could not possibly include it in his slender kit for Serbia. At last he decided to pack frame and all with precaution, carry the case to New York, and leave it in charge of Eversedge Sibley. There would be time for a visit to Sibley before the sailing of the expedition, and Denon would make his friend promise to burn the wooden box unopened if he died abroad. Everything else, with the exception of some favorite books which could be slipped into his luggage, he determined to give away. Gossip about the sale of the Mirador and Sanborn's intended departure for Serbia ran like quicksilver in all directions. The acquaintances he had made, or rather acquaintances who had fastened upon him, began calling to inquire if the news were true, and their question answered itself before it was asked. The hermit of the Mirador and his faithful dumb companion, a pipe, were surrounded with the aimless confusion of a hasty flitting. Souvenirs of John Sanborn had their value, but he did not appear to know that. He offered his lares and penates recklessly to anyone who would accept. The parson's daughter, to whom, all unconsciously, he was an ideal hero, took away the pictures, copies of those the child Barbara had loved. The parson himself got a valuable contribution of books for his library. The furniture was given to a young couple who had taken a bungalow not far off and were getting it ready with an eye to economy. Dishes and linen went the same way, excepting a cup and saucer and teapot, which were clamored for with tears by an old lady for whom the war wedding ranked with the Bible. Denon had allowed no one to enter the balconied bedroom, for he had left Barbara's portrait until the last minute, and no eyes but his were to see that sacred thing. 
once the picture was shut away and nailed up between layers of cotton and wood, it might be that he should never again be greeted by the dear, elusive smile. The furniture from upstairs he had added to the confusion of the sitting-room below, and early in the afternoon of Thursday everything had been carted away by the new owners. To strip the house while Sanborn was still in it seemed heartless, they had protested, but he had begged them to do so. Mr. Bradley was to claim possession of the place next day. When all those who called themselves his friends had bidden him good-bye, a curious sense of peace, of pause between storms, fell upon the departing hermit of the Mirador. Because the little house was almost as empty and echoing as on the day when he had seen it first, that day lived again very clearly in Denon's mind. He had sought a refuge and had found happiness. The spirit of Barbara had come to him in the garden and had brought him love. That love he was taking away with him, though he had to leave behind much that was very sweet, and now the time had come to say farewell to the memories of months. In three hours the motor-car was due, which Denon had ordered to take him and his luggage to the station. The most important piece of that luggage was Barbara's portrait, and it had still to be put into its case. But he was leaving the farewell to her eyes till the last moment, the last second even. Meanwhile he walked in the garden, and in the jeweled green tunnel of the pergola. There, in the pergola, he had read most of Barbara's letters, and answered them. He was glad that no one was ever likely to stroll or sit in the corridor of illuminated tapestry after today. Carl Polson Bradley intended to have the pergola pulled down, and the whole place torn to pieces in order to carry out the grandiose scheme of a garden architect whom he had employed. After the arrival of Barbara's first letter, and the one in which she confessed her love for the dead John Denon, his sweetest association with the pergola was the companionship of a little child, only a dream child, but more real, it seemed, than any living child could be. It was the child Barbara who had walked day after day, hand in hand with him in the pergola. She had welcomed him to the Mirador when he had come as its owner, but after a certain letter from England, she had changed in a peculiarly thrilling way. The letter was among the first half-dozen, but in the growing packet Denon kept it near the top. It was one of those which he re-read oftenest. In it Barbara had said to her friend, John Sanborn, "'If my dear love had lived to make me his wife, perhaps by this time we should have had a baby with us.' I think often of that little baby that might have been, so often that I have made it seem real. It is a great comfort to me. I can almost believe that its soul really does exist, and that it comes to console me because its warm little body can never be held in my arms. I see the tiny face and the great eyes. They are dark gray like its father's and when mine fill with tears, it lays little fingers on them 
fingers cool and light as rose petals. Oh, it must exist, this baby soul, for it is so loving, and it has such strong individuality of its own. I couldn't spare it now. Already, since it first came and said, I am the child who ought to be yours and his, it seems to have grown. It is the realest thing. Its hair is darker and longer and curlier than it used to be. Perhaps this baby will always stay with me, and I shall see it grow into boyhood, then, at last, into manhood. It's wonderful to have this dream baby. Tell me, have you ever had one? I know you are alone in life, for you have said so. But the more alone in life one was, the dearer a dream baby might be. After that letter, which pierced Denon's heart and then poured balm into the wound, the child Barbara who haunted the Mirador had changed for him, except in name. Or, rather, another child Barbara had come, not a child of ten or twelve, but a baby thing with smoke-blue eyes and little satin rings of ruddy hair. The elder Barbara did not go away, but loved the baby as he did, helping him teach it how to walk and talk and think. He wrote to Lady Denon after that letter of hers, "'Yes, I too have a dream child, but mine is a little girl.' I hardly know how I got on without her before she came. "'Thank heaven for memory,' he said to himself now, as he took his last look at the tunnel of greenery starred with passion flowers. "'After all, does it so much matter whether we had a beloved thing one minute ago or ten years ago, if it lives always in our hearts? Each tick of the watch turns the present into the past.' but in our hearts there is no past. So he bade good-bye to the pergola and the garden he had made out of a tangled wilderness. Then he turned towards the house, for in the house he had to take leave of the portrait. End of chapter 16 Recording by Roger Moline